But here, we're going to spend time in God's Word this morning. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew, chapter number 1, verse number 18. It's where I'd like to start. I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word, the privilege of spending time in it today, at this time. We pray that uh, you might bless it as we read it, impact our lives with it, especially, Lord, help us see uh, your message here. And help us to respond in that way that will bring honor and glory to your name and will change us in the way that we live from here on. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege, this opportunity, and help us to keep our minds attentive to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many times have we read this passage before? great number of times, right? For some of you... You've heard this so, so many times. Uh, I know I've read it many, many times. Is it possible we could read it just matter-of-factly, just walk right through it as if, oh, I've heard this one before, and not pay much attention to it? There are times I think I would even have the danger of uh, losing the wonder and the excitement of uh, a passage like this especially after a prolonged study of it. And some of us have spent many years looking at this. There's a a task I enjoy, especially after Thanksgiving or Christmas meals that involve a turkey. Some of you get the uh, joy as well of picking all the remaining meat off the carcass. And if you turn it over and over and work your way through, all that's left is skin and bone, right? That's the goal that you have for it. And then if you look at it, it's not quite so beautiful anymore, is it? Just to see a pile of bone and skin. The turkey has lost its beauty. Well, I find it thrilling to tear into passages of Scripture and pick them apart uh, piece by piece. And I'm aware that uh, when you get so wrapped up in all the pickings, you can lose the beauty of the passage. And uh, that's an easy thing for me to do. Now, I've been picking through the Christmas story for coming on 25 seasons now. And I can honestly say that this study this year is quite fascinating to me. Very exciting. 
I, I especially like to walk through it topically in, in some degree. And, and today I, I'm going to attempt to put us in the sandals of the individual who experiences for the first time. Joseph. We're going to attempt to do that today. Uh, this was quite a bit different for them than it, was, than it is for us. You see, they didn't have a red number on their calendar to tell them this day was coming. They didn't have a, uh, uh, a store with decorations and a Black Friday to warn them this day was coming. They didn't have all the decorations. They didn't have the music. They didn't have the uh, presents to purchase. They didn't have cards to send. Quite a different world than what we have made it with the way we celebrate I don't even know if we have the right day or the right month picked. And some people debate that, and I'm not really too concerned about that. I'm glad we get a day to remember the birth of Christ and to celebrate it. I I love that part of it. But, if we could possibly get away from all the trappings and, and see things from their perspective today. From their perspective, uh... I find this study fascinating, and I hope you do too. Now, we're looking at the message that they were given, the birth announcement that uh, Mary had received last week. We discussed that in Luke chapter 3, and today we're going to see the birth announcement that Joseph received. It's right here in the middle of that passage I just read to you. Verse number 20, it starts in the middle of verse 20, and it goes all the way down to verse number 23. It says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken By the Lord, through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, for a little bit, let's let's make a comparison between the announcements. The announcement that was given to Mary, and the announcement that is given here to Joseph. Now, you're going to stick a bookmark here, or or your finger, or whatever, and go over to Luke chapter 3, where we were last week. Luke chapter number 3. That's right around verse number 31. No, not 3, 1, sorry. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Luke one thirty-one, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, when we discussed this last week, technically, what was Mary called to do? Name him Jesus. Right? Name him Jesus. Joseph, what was he called to do? Well, name him Jesus is also true, right? But there was one other thing that Joseph was called to do. Take Mary, right? Take Mary and name him Jesus. 
So automatically we say, okay, they're a little bit different in that. But as far as Mary was concerned, the rest of what took place in her message, God had to do. Right? And it was that uh, she would conceive and bear a son, that this son would be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, that the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, that he will reign over the house of Jacob, that his kingdom would have no end. In essence, you look through that announcement, as we saw last week, and the birth announcement given to Mary was that of a king, right? All those words related to him being a king. Be great. Son of the Most High. Sit on a throne. Have a kingdom. Rule forever. That's the birth announcement of a king, isn't it? Now, go back to our Matthew passage here. Did you see anything in the message given to Joseph in verse 20, there in the middle, and all the way to 23, that mentions anything about a king? No. You don't see any message at all given to Joseph about Jesus being a king. He received a different kind of birth announcement, didn't he? What is the emphasis of the message to Joseph? It's right there in the middle. Somebody just said it. In verse number 21, She will bear a son. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The birth announcement Joseph received was about a savior. The birth announcement that Mary received was about a king. Now, I use my imagination a little bit here, but uh, I picture these two leaving Nazareth, heading down the road on their way to Bethlehem. There they had to register to be taxed, remember? As they're traveling along, do you think they ever said anything to one another? Probably so. Other than, well, where's the next McDonald's or something like that, was probably, uh, Joseph, what exactly did you hear again from that angel? Mary, what was that that, that you were told from that angel? Could you imagine them carry, carrying on their conversation, comparing the messages they had received? What an interesting thing is as you start to think this through. They found it probably fascinating that they had received two different birth announcements about the same child. Mary, he's going to be a king? Joseph, he's going to be a savior? The conversation's got to be wonderful as they shared these things. Now, perhaps you know this, but Mary and Joseph shared the same family tree. That's the reason they were going to the same place to be registered for the same text. They were both of the family of David. King David. You know him. In the Old Testament, killed Goliath with the sling. That David. We talk about David, and, and they're descendants of David. Both of them. I remember uh, a few years after Kay and I were married, we were visiting her folks in their home there in Laporte, Indiana. On the wall in the hallway, this picture. It was a family tree, and it really did resemble a tree. It still does, by the way. It's in, my, it's in one of the rooms in my house now. But when you get up close to it, you see the, the root of the tree, the, the branches, the, the trunk, rather, and the, the branches that go off, and, and all these names along that. Somebody put a lot of work into tracing these, this family tree. It's huge. It's about this 
Well, I don't know about this tall. It's a great big picture of this tree. Well, right in the center it says Canfield. It was a family line of her father. Her uh, father's mother was a Canfield. And it goes all the way back to the 1300s. Pretty impressive when you read some of those things on this this picture. But her, her father came from the family of the Canfields. And I'm looking at that thinking, you know, that's funny. My grandmother was a Canfield too. And somewhere, my family tree is attached to that family tree. And I thought that was kind of interesting, especially since their families both go back to pretty much the same area in the United States. Now, I kind of wanted to figure out how those things were intertwined, but Kay wouldn't let me. Because I always joked that she showed up to be one of my great aunts or something like that. And she didn't want that to be found out, if that was true. So we teased each other about that all the time. Somewhere, our families just kind of merged there, we believe, uh, out in the east of the United States, in the Canfield line. There's no Canfields here, is there? It's funny, when I, I read uh, uh, and hear of the attachments so many of you have as a family, in one way or the other, I think, well, surely somewhere ours has to cross too, doesn't it? So if you're a Canfield out there somewhere, I'd like to know it, because I've got a family tree I want to show you. Right? Mary and Joseph shared the same family tree. Now, they had different stories. They had different links to that tree. Mary, for example, was a descendant of the legitimate line of King David. Now, I say legitimate on purpose here, and I'll show you why. She was a descendant of David through his son Nathan. If you want to see her family tree, it's in Luke chapter 3. And there it's, it's spelled out where she is a descendant of Nathan. Now you say, but Nathan wasn't the king. Solomon was the king, wasn't he? Solomon sat on the throne after David did. But Mary was a descendant of King David through Nathan, his son. Now Joseph's line went through Solomon. If you trace this, it's in Matthew chapter 1. And it goes all the way up to Solomon and right to King David again. Through Solomon. Now, Solomon's son sat on the throne, didn't they? If you go through the Old Testament, you see Solomon. When he died, his son Rehoboam took his place. And then it just goes on and on and on through the Old Testament of the line of Solomon sitting on the throne. But as you work your way through that, there see a particular story about a wicked king, a descendant of Solomon, so wicked. Matter of fact, this is an incredible story. He was eight years old and rotten to the core. How could you be that bad that early? He was. And God said, none of his descendants will qualify for this throne ever again. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus was a descendant of that line? No, he was a descendant of the line of Nathan through David. If he came through Solomon, guess what? He would have been disqualified. As a descendant of Joseph, he would have been disqualified. He could not sit on that throne. But make it very clear, when God gave the birth announcement to Mary, what was the emphasis? He is king. When he talked to Joseph, he did not say that. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting to see that. But Joseph's line was eliminated. Eliminated as the right to have a king on the throne because of that wicked king Jehoiachin. 
So any descendant of Joseph was not a rightful heir to the throne. Could not sit on that throne. God had cursed it because of that one king. So, Joseph's not in line to the throne, and not being the father of Jesus makes a difference now, doesn't it? A very significant difference. The message to Joseph said nothing about a king. Only a savior. By the way, who needs a savior but those who have been cursed? Very appropriately, a savior is mentioned. You see, Joseph did have a legitimate line that can be discussed here. And it wasn't about the need for a king, but a need for a savior. Because Joseph was of a legitimate line of sinners. Start tracing his family tree and you'll see plenty of them. But actually, you go back all the way to the trunk and then work your way down to the root. And guess who you're going to find there? A man by the name of Adam. Adam. Remember him back in Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 2? The story in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve sinned? They ate of the fruit. True? Think this through with me for a minute. Adam is responsible for the sin issue because he was the head of the human race. If Joseph were the father, the natural father of Jesus, it would be fitting to highlight that Jesus matches every man. For Jesus to be the son of Joseph, that would put him in a long line of sinners. Born to sinners. Just by virtue of having a human father, Jesus would have been included in the penalty for sin. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two, For since by a man came death, who was that man? Adam. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two, For as in Adam all died. This is important information for us here this morning. Eve was deceived. Scripture tells us that. It led to sin, yes. But she was deceived. Adam sinned. Scripture makes that very clear when they wanted to make that point. Adam sinned. How long have we joked about the fact it was a woman's fault? Haven't we done that over the years? Just for fun, of course. Well, this is one time, ladies, where you could actually return that little nudge, all right, that you keep getting, because it was revealed that God holds Adam responsible. Adam is held responsible. Because Adam sinned, the penalty was passed down through him. Father to child, to child, to child, to child, to child. That's what Romans tells us, right? The whole world is under that because of Adam, who God held responsible for the sin. Who was the command given to first? You know? It was before Eve was even created. Does that give you a clue? There was only one person here, and it was given to Adam. He was told that. 
it was his responsibility even to pass it on. We don't know. We assume that he did, because he was putting up a pretty good argument with the serpent in the garden, wasn't she? So obviously she heard it. But man was held accountable for it. And God held account- man accountable for that sin. The penalty for sin was death, and it spread to all men. I'll picture it for you another way. Imagine I'm in quicksand right now. I'm in pretty bad shape. I, I, there's no chance I'm going to get out of here. And so uh, Dale, he's going to jump in there and help me out a little bit, right? we got a problem now. There's two of us in the quicksand. So we call on guys like Drew. Drew, he's strong. Maybe we're, we'll get Jonathan here too. He's a strong young man. Get these two guys. They're in the quicksand with us. How are we doing? Now we got some pretty strong guys going down. So let's get some wisdom in our group. We have JL. He's, he's going to help us here. He can fix anything. So we bring JL into our picture. And here we are again. Now we've got five or six of us just thrashing about in the quicksand. We're in trouble, aren't we? Maybe if we had a medical doctor in there too. Would that help? You start, you start thinking through. You say, okay, who's going to get us out of this? It's got to be somebody not in the quicksand, right? That's the whole point, as long as we're all in here. Now, having a child doesn't help. Because guess where he's born? In the quicksand. You see what the problem is? It's a simple picture perhaps, but adding another sinner is not going to help. What we need is a Savior. We need somebody who's without sin, who can relieve those who are in sin. That's the theological picture of all this. We don't need somebody born like us. We need somebody born different. You know, that's going to take a miracle. Because you know that's true. Just the natural uh, conception of the whole thing. It's got to take a miracle. We need a man that's born that doesn't have an attachment to the order of sinners. Who's not of the line of sinners. Who's not under the curse of that sinner by nature. We need a child that has to be born of a virgin. You see? Twice, Joseph is told that in his message. Once, maybe not quite so clear, in verse number 20, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a clue, something's different. But definitely, by the time you see verse 23 pop on the page, behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. That is quite clear. Now, let's step into Joseph's sandals for a few minutes here. See why the Lord emphasized the Savior side of the birth announcement. In the context, take away all that you already know. And what you really have is Joseph hearing that Mary was found to be with child. Right. We take out all the rest of the story that we know about And as far as Joseph was concerned, Mary had sinned. That's all he could have conceived. It would have been a a logical conclusion now, wouldn't it? If that's all you knew of the story, that's all he could have conceived. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 18, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now how do I know he thought that she had sinned. 
Joseph, her husband, in verse 19, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. You know why. See, at one time prior to their, this announcement, Mary and Joseph had some special dreams together. They were engaged, right? They were going to get married. In, in the Jewish custom, as far as that was concerned, the engagement was just as binding as a marriage. It, there's a lot of detail to it, and I'm not going to walk through all that. But Mary and Joseph were bound together in this, this engagement that was leading to a marriage. For Mary to be with child, Joseph had only one conclusion, and the law backed him up on this. She had committed adultery. As far as he was concerned, that was it. That's all he could have put the pieces together and understood. She had sinned. Remember in John chapter 8, the scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman in front of Jesus and threw her down before him and said, Master or teacher, they said, we caught this woman in the very act and our law says, stone her. What do you think? See, they understood the law, didn't they? They even tried to enforce it at that matter. They understood it. There's no evidence that Joseph had received a message from Mary about the news. Mary is told prior to uh, her pregnancy. We know that. We saw that last week in Luke chapter 1. She immediately left for Elizabeth's house. She stayed there for three months. We know that too from Luke chapter number 1. But then she did return back to Nazareth. And you know very well, it doesn't take long for the evidence to be there, right? Not long at all. As far as Joseph was concerned, she was found to be with child. Understand that. She was found to be with child. And that troubled his mind. It troubled his heart. The scripture tells us that, that he being a righteous man, in verse 19... Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He considered this. The words planned here in verse 19 and consider in verse number 20 were decisions already completed. As far as the Greek text is concerned. He had already worked through all his options, thought it through and came to a conclusion. He considered this done. Now, on the one hand, he was a righteous man. Right? We read that. He was a righteous man. And he did not want to disgrace her. We read that too. He didn't want to make a public exhibition of her. His decision was to divorce her quietly. But that's not an easy decision to make. And I can tell you that just by the word used in considered. It's two words put together. The word in and the word passion. The word passion here is, is uh, thumos in the Greek. We get such words as hot and heat and, and a lot of uh, related words, thermos and stuff. We get from that kind of word. So, it's an intensified passion. It takes a lot of emotion and a lot of effort to come to this decision. He wrestled with it. That's the concept behind the word. And at some place, he reached his decision. He, I picture it somewhat this way. After wrestling with it and wrestling with it, the day had come when he 
perhaps near the end of a day, decided, well, there's only one thing I really want to do here. And maybe he wrote it down on a piece of paper. Maybe he he set it solid in his mind. He says, you know, I'm going to go to sleep now, but first thing in the morning, I'm going to take care of this business. He had planned. He had considered. It was a finished thing in his mind. It's all he could do, that he wanted to do. The context, as far as he was concerned, even though it was unpleasant business, was that Mary had sinned. You see? That's where you start with Joseph. <laughs> now, a couple of questions kind of pop up in my mind. One, God allowed this to happen this way, didn't he? He allowed Mary's pregnancy this way. He could have worked it out, and uh, you know we do this, you know, how it could have been story, but he could have worked it out that Joseph was visiting Mary the day the angel popped in. Wouldn't that have made it all convenient? He wasn't there, though. He could have told Joseph that same day that Mary found out, and maybe that would have been a plan, but the Lord chose a different path, and we don't know exactly why, but God chose not to tell Joseph that day. Months have gone by. Maybe he just wanted to give him room to think this one through. It's kind of interesting. Why did he let Joseph come to a conclusion, as the word suggests? He had concluded that this was what he was going to do. Some believe it might have just been part of the test to see what kind of man Joseph really was. He's a righteous man, but is he a compassionate man? Is he a kind man? Maybe those are some of the questions. After all, whose life is hanging in the balance with this decision? Those who are found accountable for this sin were stoned to death. God let him come to a conclusion. Now, you may say, well, that's kind of risky. No, God knew exactly what he was doing. But Joseph had to walk through this whole thing. And in Joseph's decision lay Mary and a baby we call Jesus. God let that go. Let Joseph come to a conclusion. Then, we read in the story in Matthew chapter number 1, When he had considered this in verse number 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel came and spoke to him. I like this part. Answers three questions that had to have been in his mind. Question number one, what to do with Mary? Question number two, how do I understand what's going on with Mary? Question number three, is this the best way to deal with this? Those had to have been questions in his heart. What do you do with Mary? The angel answers immediately, right? First part of the message, verse number 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What would Joseph be afraid of? Think it through. Did he perhaps have some apprehension about her virtue? Was there issues about her purity? (laughs) At this moment, he didn't know anything else, did he? That would have been hard. Did he fear that maybe she would be unworthy of him? After all, he's a righteous man. How many people knew that? How was his, his reputation going to be changed if he takes Mary to be with his wife? 
Could it have disgraced him? Would the people look at him uh, kind of funny because he kept this engagement? Or turn it around. He's thinking, well, what about Mary's reputation? How do I do this without making it so public? How do I do this? He was a kind man, we see. And then there was another issue. As far as Joseph was concerned, there had to have been another individual involved here, right? Could that weigh heavy on a heart? Think that through for a minute. That comes with its own set of fears. What about enduring with adultery, if that's the case here? Would he be sharing in the guilt of it if he doesn't deal with it in a righteous way? Think of all the fears that just might be in his heart right now. Thinking through, what do I do? What do I do? Do not be afraid, the angel says. Take her to be your wife. Take her to be your wife. That's his answer. Very helpful instruction. It still leaves a couple of our questions unanswered, doesn't it? Question number two. Well, okay, but how do I understand what's going on with Mary? How do we understand that? With all that Joseph had to consider, here's something I'm sure he didn't entertain at all in his thinking. Rarely do you and I have this same uh, process in our uh, uh, method of solving problems. We have option number one we usually come to, and this is probably the best idea. And option number two, if option one doesn't work, we'll try option two, and that might solve a problem. And sometimes we go into option three just in case, or there might be an option four. But how many times do we put miracle as one of those? Usually we think through it reasonably, don't we? We think through it logically and we say, well, option one, I can do. Option two, I need some help. Option three, well, maybe that will just happen to fall into place. We come up with that. But when do we start with option number one is, well, let's consider this a miracle. Think of the options Joseph was working with. The angel comes to him and says, you know what? It's a miracle. That was his answer. That was his answer. A miracle is essential to this whole issue. (laughs) Something that only God could bring about, right? Look at the words, right here in verse number 20. It says here this, For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, Mary had been told the exact same thing, true? You go back over to Luke and you'll see it. Mary was told the exact same thing. The Lord appeared to him, the angel of the Lord, and said the child which is conceived in her is going to be of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mary was told that. Joseph was told that. Does that sound like it's very important to the whole story? They're both told that. As they're walking along, they could compare that note. Okay, he told you it was of the Holy Spirit, and he told me it was of the Holy Spirit. Mary says, how, the, how could this be? I'm a virgin. Remember the answer? With God, nothing is impossible. That's called miracle, okay? Miracle. Very important. The birth of Jesus Christ had to be miraculous. We've already seen the reasons for that. But it's only something God can do. It's only something God can do. There are those in theological circles who do not believe in a virgin birth. They don't want to. They don't think it's necessary. They argue about the words, and I, I'm sick to death of that, of seeing the words argued. 
in Hebrew and Greek and things of that nature. They, they want, more than anything, to present the birth of Christ as just as natural, as normal, as yours, and as mine. That's what they want us to come to that conclusion, that there was nothing miraculous here at all. Oh, they'd be just as pleased to deny the flood. They'd be just as pleased to turn creation into evolution. They would be just as pleased to treat your Bible as the same kind of literature as Treasure Island or A Tale of Two Cities. That's what they'd like to do. Well, I find in my Bible a God who creates the world out of nothing. I find in my Bible a God who can flood the entire world and save eight people. I find in my Bible a virgin birth. God can do that, can't he? Nothing's impossible for him. You see, don't mistake this one single fact here. When you deny the truthfulness of the Bible, you have to deny all the miracles. There's no way around that. You deny one thing that God can do, you have to deny all that God can do. That's just the conclusion that it leads to. Joseph, how are you to understand what's going on with Mary? God's answer was simple. It's miraculous. It's something only God can do. The answer is simply given. It's a miracle. Now, Joseph being a righteous man, did he believe it? Do you even see an argument at this point? He doesn't even ask how. He just says, okay. And then the angel adds to that scripture to support it. Now, being a righteous man, he would hold to scripture, wouldn't he? It goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah, matter of fact, chapter 7, verse 14. All this took place, verse 22 says, that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, we talked about this last week especially, but it's recorded there in Isaiah 7.14. Consider the way, just this way, that this miracle is compounded. Not just the fact that a virgin birth is going to happen, but it was also prophesied 500 years before. There's two miracles right there. The virgin birth itself, and the fact that God said it 500 years before, and it came true exactly like he said. Two miracles right in front of us. Being a righteous man, Joseph believed it. Joseph believed the word of God. No one else before him ever contended with that verse. Think about it. No one else had to think this through. Never happened before. No one else had this question answered this way. No one. The angel declares it so simply. We read it so matter-of-factly, don't we? Just simple, and this is to be this and this and this, and, and we read that. From all indications, Joseph believed it just like that. I like that about him. He too needs to be in Hebrews chapter 11, doesn't he? A man who walked by faith. Question number two is resolved. It's resolved when you understand God is able and Scripture says so. So Joseph got his answer there. What about question three? Is this the best way to deal with this? Let's ask it in a broader sense. Is this the best way to deal with sin? 
because sin was pretty much the first conclusion Joseph had on his mind here about Mary. He found out it wasn't so in the answer. But the fact is still there. The fact is that all of mankind has sinned and the solution to sin is what? A Savior, right? That's the solution to sin. It's a Savior. Joseph had the perspective of the one thing that needed the answer. God solved the issue of all sin in one act of giving his son. Mary wasn't told these words. As they compared notes, she told Joseph that he would be a great king, and Joseph turns to her and says, and he'll be a great savior. Could you imagine? She will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That last phrase, for he will save his people from their sins, was told to Joseph. Not to Mary. It's appropriate that God tell this to man. You see? A man who is a descendant of a disqualified king, he needs a savior. A man who is descendant of a sinful Adam, he needs a savior. A man who needs a savior. That's his birth announcement to Joseph. A Savior is to be born. Now, it wasn't a, that uh, this was a problem that only Mary had, or something Joseph and Mary would somehow endure together. It was a problem of the whole human race. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Imagine hearing that the child that you were to raise would be the Savior of the world. Imagine hearing that for the first time. Joseph, put it on the birth announcement. Be aware that he is your Savior too. You and I will never face that same dilemma Joseph did that day. We will never face that thing. The birth of Christ will never be repeated. It happened, and it never will happen again. But you and I have something in common with Joseph, don't we? You and I are sinners. And the solution is just as marvelous, just as miraculous for us as it is for him. How many of us don't need a Savior? That was the birth announcement to Joseph. Galatians says it this way. I'll read you a couple of verses. No, it's Colossians. Colossians 2.13 When you were dead in your transgressions, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Having forgiven us all of our transgressions. All of them. Hear it? All of them having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us knows forgiveness through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. See, this Christmas season, you will hear about a need for a Savior. 
We're talking about the Savior that has been born, the Savior that has lived, the Savior that has died for you, the Savior that rose again. Today, that Savior lives. That Savior lives so that you could come to Him by faith. Take His offer of forgiveness. Receive the miracle of eternal life in His name. That Savior lives today. And He invites you. He invites us. For those who don't know Him, He invites you. And I invite you again, because that's the joy of this whole season to me, is to remind you again that a Savior has been born. Is He your Savior? Is He yours? If you've never responded to the Savior before, make it this day that you do so. Call upon Him. Come to Him. He came to save sinners. Praise the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, you know everyone in this room. Exactly where we stand with you. You know the ones who know you as Savior. You know the ones who do not. And I pray, Lord, you've been pressed upon hearts this morning, especially those who have never received Christ as Savior, that today is the day they can know Him. Today is the day they can receive Him. Today is the day of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you, who can only do this miracle, might accomplish it in our midst and bring someone to yourself. What a thrilling thing to see. Again, the power of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for it. We stand here amazed one more time of how beautifully you put all things together. How you present it to us so simply and so clearly that we might know not just that a Savior was born, but our Savior has come. By believing Him, we have life in His name. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Warm our hearts with it. May we be quick to share it with those who need it. May this season be one where we again enjoy the wonder, the miracle, and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.